notes here before we get going into Ecclesiastes. Uh, first off, no girls study uh, for April, no teen girls Bible study for April. We'll pick that back up in May. Also was uh, contacted this morning, and I got the information here. Uh, someone had a uh, family member that had a fire, and they were just asking if we could help out with some clothes. I don't have a lot of information. This is all the information I have. Um, one girl is uh, between the ages of 10 and 12. The other girl is uh, 14 to 15, I believe. Uh, son wears 30-inch pants and extra-large shirts. And there's a grandson that wears size 8. So if you have anything that could be helpful with that, it says two girls, 10 to 12, and that may be sizes. I'm not good at this stuff. Uh, other girl, 14, 15, son wears 30-inch pants, extra-large shirt, and grandson wears size 8. If you have anything that could be helpful with that, go ahead and just place it in the kitchen, and we will make sure it gets into that family's hands there. Also, another quick announcement. I want to let you know kind of exciting news uh, for you may that remember. We had a uh, radio station uh, translator out here that used to be uh, 80... 88.9, and due to uh, some circumstances, uh, lost that signal, but we're very thankful to say that we have a new uh, signal back, 89.3 now. So 89.3, so if you remember, it was called Calls, Calls is up in the air, it's great teaching and stuff. It's now 89.3, just went on this week, so we'll get some more information out there. The tower is located outside of Belmore, so it really fits the uh, Lipsick, Belmore, Dashler area. You know, once you get out here towards Hamler, even more towards Napoleon, you may uh, not have as much strength or Ottawa. We haven't driven around a lot to see how good the strength is, but 89.3 now, 89.3, and so uh, it's called Calls, and if you get a chance to get around that area and listen to it, We'll get more information out there of what that is and the blessing that is. So kind of exciting news and wanted to let everybody know that. All righty, we're finishing up Ecclesiastes today. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, going to be starting in verse 9. And we're going to hopefully finish up the rest of the book here this morning. So let's do the smart thing before we get started and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are just thankful for the time to be here. We just ask for your blessing upon this in all ways and all things. And as always, Lord, we pray for just our leaders, for wisdom, our troops, for safety. And Lord, just um, go before this in all ways, Lord. It's for you, Lord. We lift this up in your name. Amen. So, we've gone through Ecclesiastes here for the last month and a half, and uh, not to be repetitious, but just want to remind everybody, remember, Ecclesiastes is written from the perspective of a man going backwards instead of forwards in his Christian walk. It's written from the perspective of a man during a very dark time. We said, take the darkest, discouraging, depressing time you've ever had in your life, and now just record your thoughts for about a half hour to an hour there. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. Sometimes this book is written in emotion, and so therefore he says things that really aren't true. But don't we do that in the middle of emotion? We say things that aren't true. Sometimes his theology is not right on. And it's not that it is biblical truth, but this is truth on how he felt at that time. Haven't you said things during your times in life that maybe weren't true? Like, what's the point of praying? Why go to church? Why do this? It doesn't do any good. Those thoughts are recorded in this book. This is one of the most honest books in the entire Bible, and it really gives us an, a perspective on just that dark times, those seasons of life that are very difficult. We can all relate to that. So with that being said, how does he finish up this book? Well, verse 9 of Ecclesiastes 11 says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart. Put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. He finishes up here this book on this idea of youth and growing old, something that's going to obviously happen to all of us. There was a great quote I read recently. 
where it says we get old too soon, but we get smart too late. There's a lot of truth to that, a lot of truth to that. Well, what he's talking about here is this idea of youth and experience. And, and the society we live in, youth is really kind of looked down a lot. And one of the verses that we do out here on Wednesday nights with our CBC group is 1 Timothy 4.12. It says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Set an example for the believers. That's a verse that we try to ingrain into these kids that no matter what age you are, God can use you because we don't want that, that youth to be an issue, that youth to be looked down upon. Solomon here is saying there is some value in this idea of youth and that idea of, of vigor. And once again, we look at this idea of being young almost as a problem. I know when I took over out here at church, um, I was 21 when I took over out here as the pastor. And, you know, I still to this day can sometimes look back and wonder what the board was thinking <laughs> at that time. Um, hopefully things have been proven to be okay <laughs> 11 years later. Um, but at the same time, too, you kind of sit here and you say, okay, that idea of young. Now, when I took over, I was never too concerned about the idea of young. I wasn't afraid of, am I too young to be a good pastor? As I've shared with you before, my thought was, am I too good-looking to be a pastor? That was, that was my main concern. Thank you for laughing. Um, but this idea of, of youth and, and enjoying it, Solomon says, go out there and enjoy it. You're young. But look what he throws in there. End of verse 9, God will bring you into judgment. It's like, go have fun, but remember you're accountable for what you do. Now, there's a good perspective there, and this is something we've tried to do out here at church. We take Titus chapter 2 very seriously. Titus chapter 2 says, let the older women teach the younger women, and let the older men teach the younger men. That's the way God has designed this system to work, is that the younger men go to those older men for wisdom and encouragement, and the younger women go to the older women for wisdom and encouragement. That's the way the system is supposed to work, and that's the way it does work. One of the best combinations I could ever imagine is a young believer with a seasoned saint. That's a great combination. With the seasoned saint, you have experience. You have wisdom. They've been around the block. With the young Christian, you have that youth, that vigor that feels like they can go change the whole world and see them all saved for Christ. Let's be honest, after we've walked with the Lord for a while, we get a little disheartened on things. And so we become, yes, we have the wisdom, yes, we have the experience, but then we reach a point of almost like, well, maybe they could get saved, I don't know. These things just don't work out. The young believers like, why can't they get saved? If Paul got saved, why can't they get saved? The young believers like, why can't we pray about this? And you put that combination together, so therefore that seasoned saint remembers what it's like to be totally consumed and on fire with the idea that God can do anything. But then that young saint also sees that wisdom and experience of walking with the Lord. It's a great combination. It's a beautiful combination on how it's supposed to be together. I know for us at our house, um, our kids, when we ask them to pray about stuff, they just assume it's just going to work out. When someone gets sick, you just pray. Well, they get better. When things don't work out the right way, you just pray. It gets better. There's this assumption that it's just that simple. You know, when our boys get scared in the middle of the night, we'll go in there, and they're scared. Well, what does Matthew 10, 31 say? Jesus said, don't be afraid. They know that verse. They do something wrong to each other. They hit each other or something. What's Ephesians 4, 32 say? Be kind to one another. They know those scriptures. Now, isn't it that simple? When you're scared, what are you supposed to do? Jesus said, don't be afraid. When you do something you shouldn't do, isn't it simple? Be kind to one another. See, the problem is as adults, it's more complicated than that, isn't it? But, you know, it's more complicated because my, my life has a lot of things going on. So this, this fear and worry that I have, there's some pretty big things that I'm dealing with. And, well, wait a second. Isn't the truth of the scripture still that simple? Jesus said, don't be afraid. Isn't the truth of the scriptures, be kind to one another? Well, yes, I know I'm supposed to be kind to one another, but the people I live with, the people I work with, what? No. 
You're taking a simple issue and complicating it. Well, life's complicated. Sometimes life is complicated. But part of the beauty of scriptures, and this is what we've been talking about in our study on Wednesday night in 2 Corinthians, is the simplicity of Christ. How simple is it? He said, don't be afraid. Why? Because we trust him. He said, be kind to one another. Why? Because that's the right thing to do. But this youth has this excitement. And, and that's what it's saying right here in verse 9. This idea of the heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart. And in the sight of your eyes, what you want to do, go do it. We took a few days off here at the end of this week, and we took the kids up to Toledo. We went to a couple spots. First one we went to was, uh, I should say the first one, we went to Imagination Station, if you haven't been up there. Really hands-on. You know, whatever the kids want to do and touch, they can do. And just had a real fun time. But then we also took the boys to the Toledo Art Museum. Talk about not being hands-on. Um, and so, and I'm not a kidding, and if you go ask Dawn about this, she's going to say it wasn't this way, but I was there, I saw it, and Dawn's a liar. Judah, our second one, did not know he was not supposed to touch. He came this close to touching a Monet. He came that he just went up and wanted to touch the Monet. That's well, that's what you do. And this idea of youth, of excitement, that's what I want to do, so that's what I do. Verse 9, the sight of your eyes. Solomon says, fine, go do that. But just remember, God will bring into judgment your actions. And he repeats this. Look at verse 14 of chapter 12. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So, you want to do what you want to do? Go ahead and do it. But you are accountable for those actions, is what Solomon is saying. Now, if you just look at verse 9, let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes. It almost sounds like that feels good. Do it. But what's the balance verse to that? Well, the balance verse, you don't have to turn there. It's actually out of the book of Numbers. Numbers 15, verse 39. You don't need to turn there. It says almost the same thing. It says, And you shall have the tassel, that you may look upon it, and remember all the commandments of the Lord, and do them, that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. See, Moses writes in Numbers 15, he goes, I want you to put tassels on your clothes, so that way when you see those tassels, those are a visible reminder to you to not let your eyes and your heart control you. Because the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked. If I did everything that was in my heart, I'd be in jail. If we did everything we wanted to do, we would be such a sinful, immoral group of people. Because our heart is deceitfully wicked, the Bible says. So when Solomon says, do what you want in your heart, well, Moses would say, yeah, but... Because I'm putting these little tassels on your clothes, so that way when you see them, it's a visible reminder to say, I am accountable for my actions. And that's now what Solomon says too. God is going to bring every work into judgment. Now, that either scares you, or you're like, okay. I mean, because the truth of the matter is, are you willing to stand before the Lord and let your life be opened up? And not just your life be opened up. Look at verse 14. Including every secret thing. That's big. Now, you have to know this. Great verse to write down, and we're going to refer to this verse later. It's 2 Corinthians 5.10. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Paul talks about something in the New Testament called the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is where we as believers go stand before the Lord. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So I'm saved, born again. I'm still going to stand before the Lord. And I'm going to give an account of what I did. Now, I am not being judged 
for salvation. That's sort of been taken care of through Christ on the cross. But I'm going to be judged according how I live my life for the Lord, and that will determine the, the eternal rewards. It's not a judgment to salvation. It's a judgment almost, I hate to use this word, it's almost a job review, if you will. Now, granted, there's always things in your life that you know you shouldn't do and you struggle with, and that's where love, grace, and mercy comes in. But we will have to give an account as we stand before the Lord. We will. As Christians, that's not something that should scare us, but it should give us some drive and determination down here on this earth to say, I want things to be different, Lord. I don't want to let my life be run by the flesh. I want it to be run by you. So I will look at my heart and my eyes and my youth, verse 9, but I also will look at verse 10. I will remove from my heart those things that are a problem. I'll put away evil from my flesh. God says there's nothing wrong with being young and having fun. He says, but make sure, verse 10, you keep the sorrow and the evil away from you because that will cause damage. Now we all know that. If you guys could go back in time, there's things you would have done differently when you were a kid or a young adult. You know that. We all know. But what about the spiritual stuff? Because here's the thing. I, I believe there's a physical age and there's also a spiritual age. You know, the, the physical age. I, I just uh, turned 34 recently, so that's my, my physical age because I'm 34. Now, I, forewarning. I tried this joke at the first service, and not a single person laughed. Heads up. Generally, if the joke does not work at the first service or my guinea pigs, I don't try it for the second. I'm trying it for the second because I like this joke. Start again. Had a birthday recently. Turned 34. Now I'm 34. I'm excited about turning 34. Do you know why I'm excited about turning 34? It's the only thing I've ever done better than Jesus. He only made it to 33. Oh, ooh, yeah. Been saving that joke for years. Like you won't least repeat it to somebody there. So, this idea of youth and growing up, this is something that we as Christians, there's a maturity that's supposed to happen to us. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, because when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. Paul says that you at one time were a child, but you grew up. You grew up physically. Now Paul says you have to grow up spiritually. I've met some people that have been walking with the Lord for years. And let's just be totally blunt. They should be deeper in their walk with Christ. I'm not saying that judgmentally. Because we all have areas in our own life, but the truth of the matter, Paul is saying, wait a second, you can't keep year after year after year walking with the Lord and still remain a spiritual child. You can't. There is something that's supposed to happen to you as you grow, as you take in the word of truth and the worship and the service and the testimonies. You're supposed to grow in your walk with the Lord. The writer of Hebrews goes one step further. He says in Hebrews 5, For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their seasons exercised to discern both good and evil. Take a look at yourself spiritually. Just take a look. Are you still on the bottle spiritually? God says you're supposed to get off the bottle and now move to solid food. If you've been walking with the Lord, there has to come that time and place where you are growing in what you do, and so therefore, you no longer are the spiritual child. You're now becoming the spiritual man or woman that God has called you to be. Now, let's just be honest. We all have things that we're immature about. Now, we, we'll mention things publicly that sound mature. You know, I, I struggle with this. Could you pray for me? Could, I, could you pray for me in this area? But there are certain things in our life that we really are immature about, and we have spiritual hissy fits. 
like a two-year-old. Paul says, don't be a child, be a man. Writer of Hebrews says, get off the bottle and start moving now to the solid food. There has to be growth in your walk. Now look back over your Christian walk here. Over the last few years, are you growing in your walk? Are you getting out of the spiritual toddler age and hopefully becoming more of a spiritual man or woman? Are you no longer on the spiritual baby bottle but now ready for the solid food? Are you progressing in how you serve? Are you progressing in how you witness and testimony and how you grow? Because that is just what happens as you go deeper in the Lord. As you go deeper in the Lord, you are taking in spiritual nutrients. And the point is, as you grow, things are supposed to change. The problem is I know a lot of Christians that, that take in spiritual food. They physically grow, but spiritually they don't. I heard a pastor say one time, the church is full of a lot of fat sheep because we're taking things in, but we're not giving them out. And that's part of being a Christian is giving out what has been taken in and is saying, I want to grow in my walk in the Lord. So there is this aspect of Ecclesiastes of physical, young, becoming old, and that's what he's going to talk about. But there's also the spiritual aspect, biblically, of growing as a Christian. And why do you need to grow as a Christian? Because jump back to Ecclesiastes 12. Look at verse 1. Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. Because, guys, it's going to get hard. It's going to get difficult. We live in almost this fallacy of when we become a believer, we get saved, that it's just all going to be wonderful. Well, in eternity, it's all going to be wonderful. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trials and tribulations. Difficult days are coming. Now, if we know difficult days are coming, verse 1 of chapter 12, shouldn't we do everything we can now? to make sure everything works. I run into this a lot of times where people are like, well, life, life's good. Things are clicking. Things are good on the home front. Things are good at work. Things are good. So they don't say it in so many words, but that's why I really don't need church. I really don't need the Lord. Things are good. I'm glad things are good. I don't say this to put fear in you, but there's going to come a time where things aren't good. And you take those steps now while things are good to keep growing because you know the difficult days are coming. Because when the difficult days are coming and then you try to find your relationship with Christ, Sometimes you have to dust it off and it's hard to find. So when the times are good, you still keep planting seeds. You still keep growing. You don't wait for things to fall apart to get right with the Lord. You stay right with the Lord to know that you have the strength to go through whatever difficult days are coming. Because difficult days are coming. This is an ongoing theme of the book of Ecclesiastes. When things are good, they're not going to be good forever. When things are bad, they're not going to be bad forever. You may have a good day at work tomorrow. You may have a bad day on Tuesday. That is the ebb and flow of life. But the truth is, the Creator, God, is there with you every single step of the way. And part of maturity is knowing that and realizing. But we get emotional about stuff, don't we? And we have a little hissy fit just like a, like a two-year-old does. Now, we may not stomp our foot and cry and roll around on the floor, but spiritually, we have a hissy fit where God says, can we mature past that? And it happens to everybody. One of my favorite stories in the Bible and I didn't know this until I heard teaching recently because I never put all the time frames together. But you remember the story of Jacob and Esau. Now, they were the twins that were born, and their dad was Isaac. And so it got time where Isaac said in Genesis 27, he goes, I'm dying. My days are shortened. Time's almost over. He goes, I want to bless Esau. Esau was a daddy's boy. So he goes, I want to bless Esau. Give him the blessing. And so he calls Esau in. I'm dying. I'm getting old. He just keeps repeating this. I'm dying. I'm dying. So I want to give you the blessing. So Esau goes out to do it. Well, Jacob, who was a mama's boy, and so Jacob, his mom comes and says, hey, your dad's going to give the blessing to your twin brother Esau, so go pretend to be Esau, which I just find one of the strangest stories in the whole Bible, because you remember what Jacob had to do to be like Esau? He put goat skin on his arms, because Esau was a very hairy man, the Bible said. Have you ever touched a goat? Just don't think about that too much, but the point is, so 
They go in. Jacob pretends to be um, Esau, and Jacob steals the blessing. Esau's ticked. I mean, he's ticked. He wants to kill Jacob. That's how the story goes. But Esau says, out of respect to my father, I'm going to wait because my dad's going to die. So once my dad dies, like a mob movie, I'll go back and pay my revenge. Do you realize, as they're waiting for Isaac to die, and they keep repeating this chapter, Isaac's old, he's going to die, he's going to die. Isaac lives at least another 50 to 80 years after that. No reason I bring this up is because I run into Christians. It's all over. I'm not going to make it. I can't make it another year. I just can't make it another week. I can't make it another month. It's just not going to happen. It's the end. Oh, come on. You're being Isaac. The end is coming. My body's falling apart. I'm frail. I'm old. Next thing you know, three decades later, you're still in this world. My point is we allow the situation of the world and the emotion of the difficult days to get us. When you are going through a difficult time, it's hard for you to imagine your head being above water again. It's hard to imagine everything being okay because it's so full of emotion. Part of spiritual maturity, of the child becoming the man, of getting off the baby bottle onto the solid food is realizing, Lord, it is a difficult time, it's a difficult season, but you will get me through. The problem is, we get to the end of verse 1 of chapter 12. I have no pleasure in him. I've, I've done visits like that before. I just want to die. This is just horrible. My life is horrible. I just want it to be over. I just want to die. I want it to all be done. I have no pleasure in him. Boy, isn't that what we've seen in Ecclesiastes? How many times has Solomon said, what's the point? What's the point of living? What's the point of going on? It's just not worth it. Well, and as we've said, I think every week in Ecclesiastes, if you're living your life without the Lord, what is the point? Of what is the point of going to get up the next day? If you do not have that relationship with Christ, what is the point? Because Christ is life. Yeah, right now things are clicking. Marriage is good. Work's good. Family's healthy. Things are good. Not being prophetic here, but it's going to get difficult. Difficult days will come. The Bible promises that. Not to hurt you or to harm you, because that's the fact. What's going to happen then? Well, Solomon now talks about growing old. And as we go through verses 2 through 8 here, look at all the symbolism. We'll come back and break this down. It talks about growing old. Verse 2. While the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain, and the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men bow down, and the grandeurs cease because they're few, and those that look through the windows grow dim, when the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low, when one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of music are brought low, and they're also afraid of height, and all the terrors of the way, when the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper is a burden, desire fails, for man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Look at the symbolism. I, I just wrote this down quickly as I was going through this message. This is how I see the symbolism. You may catch it a little different. This is just my personal opinion. Verse 2, sun, light, uh, moon, and stars are not darkened. So it's still sun and light and shining, Amish can't see it, getting old. Verse 3, the keepers of the house tremble, possibly referring to the hands. Strong men bow down. The knees aren't as strong as they were. The grinders cease, losing your teeth because they are few. And you look through, the windows grow dim. You can't see real well. Things are growing dim. The doors are shut in the streets. Have you ever noticed how sometimes people get older? They just want to stay inside. They just want to feel safe and comfortable. They don't like going out anymore. The sound of grinding is low. Why is the sound of grinding low? You don't have many teeth. When one rises up at the sound of a bird. Boy, have you not noticed how sometimes older people get up really early? I remember my uh, grandma Irvin. It seemed like towards the end there when she was healthy. I mean, it seemed like she'd fall asleep in our chair about 12, 30, 1 o'clock. And about 5, 30, she was up. 
You know, this that idea of getting up. All the daughters of music are brought low. Can't hear real well. They're afraid of height, terrors in the way. Sometimes older people become very fearful of things, of going out and doing stuff. The almond tree blossoms. Well, what color is an almond tree blossom? It's white. Your hair changes color. The grasshopper is a bird, and grasshopper, you think of the legs, they can't walk well. Desire fails. Physical desire is not there like it goes. And what happens? Man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the street. They die. That's what happens. Now, that's just fact. Solomon says, this is what's going to happen to you. Verses 2 through 5. Your body is going to fall apart. That is just a fact. And then what happens at the end when your body falls apart? Well, verse 5, you're going to die, and uh, verse 7, you're going to go back to the earth as dust. That's true. Now, we don't like to think about that. How many times have we said in our study in Ecclesiastes, we try to do all we can in life to not think about death. But yet God has tried to have us think about death. One of the first verses we said in Ecclesiastes was Ecclesiastes 3.11. God has put eternity in your heart. He's put eternity into your heart. There's a reason why God has put eternity into your heart. Because if you think you will never taste death, to be quite honest, you'll think you'll live forever. And so therefore, the seriousness and the consequences of your actions will hold no accountability. They won't. It is a fact. If you knew your day of death, and you knew that you would be healthy, wealthy, and wise up until that day of death, and you knew it, wouldn't you live life differently? You, you would probably not worry so much about being right or moral or not burning bridges because there would be time at the end to get everything made right with God. Part of the reason why eternity is in our hearts is we don't know how, when, or why we're going to die. And so therefore, that keeps that perspective in the back of our mind to keep us focused on the Lord. Because verse 7, I will return to the dust. And the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Verse 8. Solomon says, it's all vanity. It's all meaningless. Now, isn't that the way the world works? What's the point? Just going to get old and die? I spend 30 years working at a job. Why? To retire and maybe have 10, 15 years of decent health to then I can't do anything anymore? What's the point? We're all going to die. Do you not hear? That is just the way the world speaks. We're just all going to die. What's the point? Once again, not to be repetitious. According to the world, they're right. What is the point? As a believer, we know the point. The point is our relationship with the Lord is what matters. That's the point. That's the point of Ecclesiastes is, yes, you will die. Yes, you will have difficult days. Yes, there will be good days and bad days. That's a fact. You'll have good seasons and bad seasons. But the Lord is the one that gets you through it. That is the point. It took Solomon 12 chapters to get to that. And the reason it's in the Bible is so we can learn it now rather than living our life trying to figure it out. But he tries one more thing. As we're getting down here to the end, he, he tries one more thing to try to figure this out, verse 9. And moreover, because the preacher, that's who he was, the preacher was wise. He still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Let's just stop here for a second. Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, without a doubt. And so he constantly, everything went through this filter of wisdom. And there's importance to wisdom. Verse 12, wisdom, I, I, excuse me, verse 11. I like verse 11 a lot. Wisdom is supposed to be like a well-driven nail by the shepherd. I love that verse. When you come in to hear the teaching, I want to encourage you. I want to uplift you. I want you to know love, grace, and mercy. I want you to know all that. But at the same time, too, I want to drive a couple of nails into you. Because I want you to walk out of here saying, how can I be different? How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better wife? How can I be a better witness for the Lord? The best messages I've ever heard are the ones that are encouraging and uplifting, but at the same time, hit you a little bit. To say, hey, 
Are you going deeper? Are you enduring in the walk? problem is Christianity today has become what I call cotton candy Christianity. We just want to make you feel good. Let's just have a spiritual pep rally here on a, on a Sunday morning, and you walk away here feeling all pumped up. Well, the problem is sometimes you shouldn't feel pumped up. <laughs> sometimes there's things in your life that need to change, and we need those verse 11, the well-driven nails by the shepherd that are pounded in not to hurt, but to show you the areas that need to be changed and worked at. Well, look at verse 12 one more time, too. Of making many books, there's no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Boy, isn't that true? Your whole life is spent learning. You go through, what, 12 years of school, you're done with school, and then you may possibly do college, and after you get done with college, you may possibly go for a master's or something along that type of line. You're constantly in school. Once you get out of school and into the workforce, there's constant training. It's wearisome. Now, from a spiritual point of view, though, knowledge is not necessarily wrong. But I've seen people take knowledge and think that the knowledge is a relationship with the Lord. I, I, I remember years ago there was, a, there was a gal that used to attend out here, and her husband was one of the smartest guys I've ever heard or seen when it came to end times. I mean, he just he knew it. He was very smart, very intelligent when it came to these things. Problem is, he had all this knowledge, but he really never had that relationship with the Lord. And I look at this verse 12. I know some Christians like this. They're smart. I mean, they can quote the scriptures, they got the theology down, they've read the books, they're very book smart when it comes to the Lord. But this idea of a spiritual relationship, of understanding, God just loves you. Well, I know he loves me because 1 John chapter 5 tells me that God is love. Right, but do you get it? He just loves you. Grace. Oh, I know all about grace. You know, the Bible says it's for by grace you've been saved. Yeah, but, but do you get it? And I sometimes see people, verse 12 have knowledge and intelligence in the Lord. They're smart. But this relationship with God, man, it's just not there. To be quite honest with you, sometimes those are the hardest people to talk to. They may know the Bible better than you, but they don't have that relationship. And Solomon comes out and says, hey, listen here. I've sought it out. I've got all the knowledge. I've got all the wisdom. I realize there's importance in wisdom. But you know, verse 12, it just wears me out. So how does it wear him out? I, I, I think... Verses 13 and 14 of Ecclesiastes 12 are, are probably the most abrupt ending, maybe other than the book of Jonah, to any book of the Bible. It just finishes it. Verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. It's almost like Solomon sitting here talking, and he's just like, I'm done. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody? Just, I'm done. We, we've covered it. We've rehashed it. We've covered every angle of it. I'm just done. I think Solomon reaches a point here through the spirit of, you know what? Let's just sum this thing up. Fear God, keep his commandments, for that's man's all. If you want one verse that just totally takes everything you need to know and puts it very simply, Ecclesiastes 12, 13 is that. If you fear God and keep his commandments, you've got it all figured out. It is that simple. It is that simple. Solomon has spent 12 chapters trying to find the reason and meaning and purpose of life. He finally figures it out. Fear God and keep his commandments. How many times have we told you out here, the Bible says there's two W's that you're supposed to do. Witness and worship. How simple is life? You don't need to study your purpose or figure out why God has you here. He has you here to be a witness to the unsaved and to worship Him. It's that simple. And how do you do that? By fearing God and keeping His commandments. Remember that word fear literally means healthy respect. You have a healthy respect for who God is. And you keep His commandments. You obey because that's the best place to go. And why do we do it? Well, verse 14, God will bring every work into judgment, include every secret thing. Now, once again, that, that, that verse either encourages you because you get to meet your maker, or, or it scares you with fear. I have to meet my maker. Now, I know this. When I get home from church, as soon as I open the door, there's going to be four boys that come running at me. 
And they're excited to see me. They can't wait to see me. They come grab my legs and daddy this, daddy that. Now, if I only get three of them, and one's kind of hovering off on his own in the distance, what's wrong? Well, generally what's wrong was he's done something wrong today, and Dawn has made some comment of, you know what, your dad and I need to talk when he gets home about what's going on. He's not excited to see his father. Haven't you ever had a thing like that in your life? I remember I, I had one growing up as a kid. I remember I was downstairs in our basement, and I remember I was trying to get a, a television tuned in, and, and I couldn't get it tuned in to watch something, and I got mad, and I kicked the, the entertainment center, and it just broke the door. And I remember Mom telling me, you know, you need to talk to your dad when he gets home. And I remember just bawling and crying. I was probably like 28. And, <laughs> and so I wasn't excited about Dad coming home. And just the full record, since my father is in here, he did respond with grace, love, and mercy. We glued the door back together and everything's fine and dandy. But the point is, I was not excited about Dad coming home. This idea of meeting your maker... Once again, it's either excitement or fear. I'm not perfect. I, I, I am sin. I am flesh. There's a lot of things I'm still working on. But you know what? I know the simplicity of it. God loves me. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I'm trying through the power of the Spirit to live like I can for him. I'm not perfect. But I know he loves me. And I know that his death on the cross took my sins because I gave him that. I said, Lord, I don't want this burden of sin. I believe what you did. And in Corinthians, if you've been coming on Wednesday nights, one of the ongoing themes of 2 Corinthians is simplicity. Paul comes out and says, it's the simplicity of Christ. How simple is salvation? I'm a sinner. Jesus died for my sins, so now I have entrance into heaven, as long as I accept it. How simple is that? And so, this is simple. Twelve chapters comes to a very simple conclusion in verses 13 and 14. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. A verse I like to put with this is Matthew 6.33. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Very simply put, what's first in your life? If you put God first in your life, everything else falls into place. If, you're, if your emotions are out of whack... If your spiritual life's out of whack, if everything is just falling apart around you, Matthew 6:33, are you putting God first in your life? If you put God first in your life, everything falls into place. Now note I did not say everything falls into place the way you want. We just got done studying Ecclesiastes. You will have good days and bad days, good seasons and bad seasons. But the Lord will be there to get you through it in all ways and all things. And you will have ups, you will have downs. But there is that foundation and stability of Christ that gets you through everything you're facing. Because why? You fear God and keep his commandments, verse 13. I was listening to um, a teaching on the way in today, and I, and I like to give credit where credit's due, but I did not. I got in after the teaching started, and I got here to church before the teaching ended. So I can't tell you who the teacher was. But he, he did this quote um, by Charles Spurgeon, and it was important enough that I, I sat down at a stop sign and, and typed it, some of it in so I could look it up online to um, find uh, what the quote was. And I want to read this quote to you real quick. Please don't think I'm checking my texts and emails right now while I'm teaching. But I have it on my phone because I, that's all I could do. I like this quote. This is from Charles Spurgeon. It says, Bits of depression come over the most of us. Cheerful as we may be, we must at intervals be cast down. The strong are not always vigorous, and the wise are not always ready, the brave are not always courageous, and the joyous not always happy. There may be here and there men of iron to whom wear and tear work no perceptible determent. But surely the rust frets even these. And as for ordinary men, the Lord knows and makes them to know that they are but dust. I thought, how true is that? You know, you may be a happy person, a joyous person. You're going to have rough times. You may be some, I can get through this. There's going to be some times you can't get through it. Why? Because, as it says in that quote, you may think you're a man or woman of iron. Rust will get to you. Verse 7, Ecclesiastes 12, 
the dust will return to as it was. Only through God can we get through the ups and downs of life that we are facing. Only through him. And Ecclesiastes is here to remind us, don't go through this on your own to find the answers. Look back through Solomon that tried wisdom, didn't work. Tried pleasure, didn't work. He finally accepted and understood it's fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. What a great way to end. And it's a wonderful book there and I hope you're blessed by Ecclesiastes as well. Long enough, if you come forward here for the final song.